Amen. You may be seated. You got to it before I said it. Good job, everybody. Grabbing a seat. Uh, well, glad to be here today. Uh, my name is Michael. I'm the pastor here. And if you're with us online, then welcome. If you're here in person, then I always love to see your faces, smiling ones too. Seems like we, we don't see enough of those. I was in the <clears throat> grocery store last week. We were, I know people still go to the grocery store, right? <clears throat> okay. <laughs> some do deliveries, some do the pick it up. Uh, anything's fine. Um, but I uh, had to run out and uh, do a couple errands. And what I noticed was um, just a lot of people, you know, looking down, I don't know, making eye contact. I don't know why. I mean, it's just a side effect of things that have happened the last couple of years. But as best you can, always be an encouragement uh, to those around you. Um, because it's difficult times. And so today we'll be uh, in our series, Enduring Faith. And um, <clears throat> it's been really eye-opening. It's been a, um, a joy for me to, to get to go through. Um, I always um, kind of go with, off of what uh, many of my mentors have shared with me through preaching through a text or through a book of the Bible. There's always things that you go, do we have to talk about that? And um, we always do, right? There are things that God puts in his word for a reason so we can learn and grow together, Okay. And today we're talking about pastors. Really, we're talking about pastors and elders. So that position um, in the New Testament church when it was established uh, was <clears throat> for both the person who was uh, preaching, teaching. It was both for uh, vocational, bivocational, or someone who was just a, a volunteer in the laity. So you had a number of those different groups uh, that were serving the church in that capacity. And so we talk about all those today, really in reference to what we're speaking about, which is letting leaders lead. Letting leaders lead. They're all else. Let's see to remember. Letting leaders lead. So before I jump into it, I just want to tell you a story. Um, I shared it yesterday. We were at the uh, wedding shower for Dave and Rachel, so that was a fun time. I'm just getting to get together and uh, bless them, and we're super thankful for them being here at the church, and they're about to get married, so we get to celebrate that together. It's going to be an awesome day. Uh, And so I was just kind of thinking about those next phases of life and the phase that we're in, which is with um, three kids, five and under, which is, you know, there's never a dull moment, right? (laughs) My... uh, Parents, when I talk with them, my dad said, you know, it, it's, it's a season, right? The season will pass. You'll be able to rest one day. <laughs> one day. And so I was giving Christy a break. Um, if those exist for stay-at-home moms. Uh, I was giving her a break uh, one night this week. I just uh, took the baby after we put the other girls to bed. And I went to the pharmacy. And I was like, what do dads do when kids just, you know, they start screaming? You're like, you know, what do we do? Well, hopefully by kid number three, which is, this is what it was for us, um, uh, you're supposed to know what to do, right? So I'm sitting there in line. I'm like, well, I can't get out because then if I put the kid you know, with me in the front seat and you pull up, they're going to be like, yeah, we're going to call Child Protective Services on you. The kids don't ride in the front seat with you. So like what I do, so I'm just sitting there and I just start like shaking the car. I don't know if you've ever done that. Like as a, as a parent, you're like, I have to do something. And to my surprise, she went to sleep. And so you know, I didn't think it was that funny until I got home and I was talking with Christy about it. And I said, so yeah, this is what I had to do. She started crying. I was like, I don't, I just, I'm just going to start shaking the car. So the whole car's shaking. He goes, what do you think people were thinking? Like, <laughs> they, were, they were watching you, what, what you were doing. She goes, I bet they were like, man, you need to let that guy to the front of the line so he can get his medication because uh, he's not okay, right? So maybe not okay for other reasons. But uh, yeah, we've been very blessed lately uh, being able to take a part of uh, a lot of the things that people have going on and then with our little ones too. Um, so thank the Lord for that. Glad for babies and for um, being a part of who we are. Uh, so today we'll be in First Timothy. You can go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn there. First Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 through 25. <clears throat> well, the first thing I want to talk to you about is difficult jobs, difficult or stressful jobs. Um, <clears throat> it's been told to me before that 
that maybe at times I have a difficult job. I love what I do. There's definitely difficult seasons and hardships and things you walk through. Um, <clears throat> and as I was doing some research, I was like, I just, I really wonder what people have put out there, articles, news, you know, that kind of stuff. And what are the most difficult or stressful jobs in the world? You might be surprised. So what I gathered was this. I'll start from 10 and I'll go to 1. So 10, 1 being the most stressful, 10 being, it's still stressful, but just number 10 on the list. The number 10 is a prison, uh, prison warden, construction worker, or food service. Maybe you've never been a prison warden, but maybe construction or food service, you know, that can be stressful at times, right? Number nine is a farmer or astronaut. Number nine, most stressful job in all the world. Number eight, bomb disposal engineer, explosive disposal engineer, uh, social worker or congressman. Okay, that's number eight. Uh, number seven, healthcare worker. I think that's probably maybe a little higher uh, over the last couple of years. Uh, number six is a surgeon. Uh, number five, came in at uh, teacher and pastor. Number four, police officer. Number three, paramedic, paramedic, airline pilot, CEO, or president of a company. Number two, doctor, firefighter. Number one, military nurse, stay-at-home parent. I, uh, I read an article this week um, about that. It was actually put out by Forbes and they said there's this increasing number of, uh, you know, costs are going up, all this kind of stuff, and child care and all that. So there's more people that are staying at home, being a stay-at-home parent, whether it's mom or dad. And as so I was reading that, and in the article, they had figured out that a stay-at-home parent, they were making minimum wage, would make at least $100,000 a year. <laughs> so I thought, wow, that's, that's interesting. But they ranked it number one among stressful or difficult jobs. And so today, talking about letting leaders lead. Maybe you find yourself in a difficult or stressful job. I don't think any job is without stress. Some are more than others. Today I want to talk to you about the pastor or the elder. And I think in some churches, maybe someone would say, oh, we don't need to talk about that, right? We, we know what we need to do there. Well, let's go ahead and take a look at God's Word and see what it says. So um, the first fill in the blank is the right perspective. So we just need to have the right perspective when it comes to um, how do we do view the pastor and how do we view um, really the pastor and the <clears throat> elder, the person who would preach or teach or even handle the business of the church who can be, be considered a leader. So it says in verse 17, the, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. And so there's a number of people I think that are qualified in this area in our church. Um, definitely our deacons, you know, we call them deacons, but I really kind of fit more of what the scripture would talk about in that elder role in preaching and teaching. And so I'm thankful for them. And there's a number of different places that the Bible talks about, like leading well in regards to people who are in the church or just um, whatever you're doing. You need to do it well or ruling well. We actually find it in the quiet time passage for today. Um, David read the front end of that. And I'll read the last verse for you because it has the same word for rule well. Uh, Romans 12.8 says, The one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And this passage as a whole um, was given to us this morning, was, was talking about uh, where do we find our place of ministry? How do we serve? How do we do these things well? And, and in every single one of them, the area that God has gifted us in, we need to do that well, right? So we don't need to go, oh, somebody else will do that. Or oh, I know I'm gifted in that. I know I should get plugged in. But we just say someone else will do it. Well, in all these, they need to be done well. And so it says the, the elder who rules well be considered worthy of double honor. And so this idea here of double honor, it's actually found in Deuteronomy. When, when Paul's talking, you've got to understand Paul was a Pharisee, right? So he's got the law, he's got all those things down. And when he's talking to people, he's not saying, hey, forget, forget the Torah, forget the law, it doesn't matter. 
In fact, he's doing the opposite. And so uh, he says here, it comes from Deuteronomy 21.17. It says, But he shall acknowledge the firstborn, the son of the unloved, by giving him a double portion of all that he has. For he is the firstfruits of strength, and the right, as the right of his firstborn is his. And so um, this is the idea of giving leadership, specifically those in um, teaching roles, um, honor and placement. And it's, it's more of like this idea of not questioning in your mind and your heart. Um, we, we've been at a couple of different churches, and I've seen um, guys that I've served, served alongside and, and honored and, and followed. Um, and sometimes there's just those in the church that this, it's not the right perspective, so we want to get the right perspective. So the wrong one would be every single time somebody gets up to talk to you, whether it be me or whether it be Andy or Greg or Matt or Bryce, and, and they get up and they have something to share from God's Word, and they've prayed over it, and they want to give direction and help to us, is to go, oh, man, you know, I'm going to be looking for mistakes, or I'm going to be looking for errors, I'm going to be looking for something I don't like, because I don't even li- I don't like that person, I don't like listening to that individual. Now, <clears throat> this is practiced throughout churches, right, throughout history, and especially now in our culture, it's like, oh, I don't like what's going on, or I don't like if somebody says something that I, that I just don't want to hear, maybe because there's something that doesn't match up in your life, they go, well, I'll just go somewhere else. And then, you know, and you keep doing the same thing. It's like you run into that problem. So that's why I, I always promote, if we're going to be a part of a community, let's do that together, but let's do it for the long term. And not just go, anytime I hear something I don't like, I'm going to go somewhere else, okay? I don't think that that's us, but it's definitely a caution that, that Paul gives to Timothy in the church for a reason. So Timothy wouldn't have just been reading this by himself and going, okay, that's good to know, right? This would have been read before the whole church. And the church has to deal with this, this reality of, okay, I want to give honor, I want to give placement and respect and that's good and that's right but he's also going to talk about some other things so how do you adjust wrongdoing it's going to be in there as well so i like this word for labor as well here when you read this this is those who labor in preaching and teaching the word for labor capeo uh, it means just mean to work hard to the point that they're exhausted um and i it's so tough if you're a teacher you probably understand this too or any sort of work we can be exhausted by this but specifically when it comes to like study of the word and like preparation for teaching. Um, I actually talked with Pastor Bloom about this a lot. If you don't know who Pastor Bloom is, um, he, is a, he was a pastor of this church for about 30 years. A really solid guy. I remember when he came up to me, we, this was our installation Sunday. He came up to me and he shook my hand. I didn't know who he was, but I was just like, this guy, like, he's just got this presence, you know. And so I shook his hand and um, somebody told me afterwards, that was Pastor Bloom. I was like, I was like, I didn't even feel like, you know, worthy to shake his hand. But, you know, that's the way that we, we should operate. When we talked about this, like this preaching and teaching, I'm like, do you ever feel this way? You like, you get through the text, you're like, you're ready. But it's just like there's this weight, and you're like exhausted from working through it. Yeah, yeah, I get that. He's like, sometimes I just like to go out and do something else, like mow the lawn. And then I feel, and you don't feel exhausted by that? He's like, no, the text is way harder than mowing the lawn. So um, <clears throat> I've got a, a partner here uh, in that. I love talking to him about that. And so James chapter 3, verse 1 talks about this labor. It says, not many of you should become teachers, my brother, for you know that those who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. And, and this is something that it does. When I was working through this, it just um, you know, had, a, had a weight on me. You know, we can't lead people astray, right? That's an important part of what we do here at the church. And then even more than that, Matthew 18, 5 and 6 says this, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. It's a good thing. That's what we were doing at VBS. All those kids making decisions. I was shocked by that. All the kids that raised their hands. Like over 50% of these kids who came making decisions. Many of them for the first time. And verse 6 says, But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a millstone or have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. And 
<clears throat> so there's, this, there's just both sides of this. There's like respect and honor for those who lead and are, are trying to, uh, uh, to lead in the right direction and do well, but then there's this weight to knowing that, um, and there's this greater strictness, this greater judgment. Um, and I take that seriously, so I just want you to know that too. As I read through these things and I, I study, there's always this, um, this weight. And I don't want you to feel bad for me. I just <laughs> I want you to be aware and I want you to pray for everybody who leads in the church, every position that we have who does something um, for God's kingdom because it's significant, isn't it? And in verse 18, um, we see there's sometimes unneeded distraction, things that happen, and so we want those who lead to be able to lead well and focus on what matters for them. We're all part of um, different parts of the body, right? And we talked about it. If you look at the quiet time today in Romans, everybody serves a different function, right? And so we can't go, I want to do that, I want to do this. We want to do what God has set apart for us to do. So verse 18 says, For the scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. And this again is from Deuteronomy 25.4. If you want to look that up later. And a series of miscellaneous laws. If you read through this in Deuteronomy, it's kind of hard. Like you're like, what is he talking about? Um, but, but specifically, I just want to say, um, going at present, um, <clears throat> some things happen in the church, and, I, and I've seen it happen before that have just kind of like grieved my soul. And it's been in regards to like how the church operates and how the church treats the pastor. And that's when I was just like a sub role, like an associate pastor. And um, sometimes the grief and things that you see them take can be really difficult to handle. Um, and so I'll talk more about that, but I just, I just want us to remember, you don't have to go back and read through Deuteronomy, but, but just remember what Paul is saying here. Hey, um, <clears throat> this labor, this person is here and he's doing something for a reason, okay? And so yeah, I, I wonder at times of like uh, criticism and um, thinking about people who have gone through things before. Like I think about a young man who was at a church. Um, he interned at a church uh, for a year and didn't get paid anything for it. That was that's pretty typical uh, for experience. And then got his second year and he was really excited about it. And it was like, he was getting paid 50 bucks a week. So he's getting his gas covered, you know, basically going back and forth in the church, learning and growing. And this young man, to his surprise, was given the youth pastorate. Um, said, hey, do you want to apply for this? He went out for it. He thought he wouldn't get it. <laughs> I'm the least qualified person for this. And, uh, and so he got that job, and he started serving, and at the same time, uh, married his wife. And so uh, first year of marriage, first year at a church as a pastor, and that young man sat in a business meeting <clears throat> and was sitting there, and someone stood up and pointed at him and said, you're not worth your weight. This young man was making, I want to say like $19,000 a year. <laughs> you go back... Uh, a number of years um, still would have been a whole lot of money. And <clears throat> there were times, I think, I'll tell you, that was me, actually. Uh, there were times in that first year, especially first year of marriage, like you're going through a lot of first things, and they, I, we were just like, you know, God, is this really what you want us to do? And I started reading through this text, and I was just going, yeah, I know, I'm just a youth pastor, but I'm here for a reason. I know God's called me for this purpose. And by the way, we were both working full-time, going to school full-time paying for that, not taking out loans. And uh, it was such a season of just going like, Lord, is this what you want us to do? And this text, when I've read it before, is just like, it's poured over me. But I always remember those moments, right? Where we go, is this what we're supposed to do? And we've always had those kind of defining moments. And I remember when that individual said he didn't serve, didn't do anything in the church really, constructive at least. And uh, so I, I kept having to go to God and go, God, is this what you want us to do? And it's like 12 years later, man, glad I made that decision. And so I share that with you, not to go, um, man, feel bad for us, right? Uh, but just to go, sometimes 
that position is difficult, right? And there's a reason the text speaks to it, whether it's a youth pastor or anything else. Uh, we want to be encouragers, right? We want to lift up uh, and uh, encourage. In the same way that the pastor would do the same thing for you guys, I, I hope that's always the case um, for what we're doing, but that's why I value it so much. I don't know, that's why I try to be, I don't know, over, over the top with that, uh, to make sure that you, know, you feel valued. Um, because I know the feeling of not feeling valued and encouraged. And there's a reason that Paul talks about this, because when Timothy was in the church, he was not only a young guy, by the way, we came here. I still think I'm relatively young <laughs> for the pastorate, but uh, when, uh, when we came to the church, you know, I, I kind of, I don't know, I kind of halfway expected like, man, does he know what he's doing? <laughs> is, uh, is he going to be able to do the job? And I, to be honest, I prayed about that too. When I came, there's like this overwhelming support. And I kind of maybe the theme today has just been more encouragement and you know, appreciation for each other. And so I want to say I appreciate you guys because when we came, <clears throat> I kind of had those feelings, right? Those feelings of anxiety, like what's going to happen? Are we going to, you know, are we going to be able to serve here and not be more discouraged, you know? And so when we came in, it was just like overwhelming, right? And there's always seasons of difficulty and discouragement, right? But I can't tell you how much we felt the opposite that way. We started out in ministry, just, just the change. And so I just want to let you know, I appreciate that. But these warnings are here for a reason. Paul's talking to a Timothy who's, he's by far, historically, probably one of the youngest pastors or religious leaders um, of his time. And you can bet people were going like, man, I don't know if this guy knows what he's doing. Right? I don't know if he's got it under control. But Paul was saying, hey, trust in the Lord. Let him lead you. He's going to do that <clears throat> and allow the people to trust and encourage and so that's right perspective. What about the right rules? Well, in verse 19, uh, we see that the way we handle real issues um, really matters. And so I, I don't want to go here like, you know, the pastor can never do anything wrong. The elder, the leader can never do anything wrong in the church. That's not the case, right? We're human beings. So how do we deal with this in the right way? Well, there's a right way. There's a wrong way. So it says in verse 19, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Again, if, if you're reading this, you're going like, where is Paul getting this stuff? He's just like making it up. I mean, it's God's word for one thing, so that would be good enough. But Paul's actually referencing the law again. He's going back to the Torah, and he's going, hey, in Deuteronomy 19, God actually gave us some instructions for this. So um, <clears throat> he's not saying it's all outdated, like Old Testament Torah. I always love that about you know, the New Testament churches. They're always going like, what instruction will we given? And Paul, he confirms this and reiterates this. So there's a way to handle this. And it's, it's normally like the, um, and I've seen it happen before, like the accusation with no merit, right? Somebody's upset about something. Say, somebody says something, it's not true. Um, just so you know, um, that hasn't really happened here either. And so I appreciate that. But, but what's the way to handle that? Well, you've got to have evidence, right? You've got to have more people to actually corroborate what's going on. And even then, people can still make up stuff, right? Um, but I'm glad that God has kept us together in unity. And so I actually, I, was, I wanted to get some research too because I was like, I know my experience, but I also want to just um, kind of just see what else is out there. And so there was an article from the Christian Post. Uh, it actually came from a Forbes article that was talking about ministers. So how long do they last in the pastorate? You know, we always see those statistics like, you know, somebody will be somewhere like, you know, one, two, three years, maybe then they'll go somewhere else. Um, Christian and I were just talking about this last night. We were like, we've been here almost three years. Like, there's been some difficult times, right? There's a lot of good times, um, a lot of encouragement, a lot of love. Um, from the people, and again, I just can't say how much, um, man, we felt valued um, since the beginning here. And we're like, man, at times it just seems like it's, just, it's gone right by, hasn't it? But I found this article, and I was wondering what other people's experience was, and so um, this is a quote from the article. It says, due to various difficulties in ministry, anywhere from 35 to 40 percent of pastors survive less than five years on the job, and they weren't talking about being in one church. They were talking about job total, pastorate total. And then the article continues, and after 10 years, 60 to 80% of those ministers quit. 
Now, <clears throat> I wish that wasn't the case, right? And I wish that, you know, churches and entities operated, you know, maybe better than that or that pastors could handle a little more. I don't know. And I don't know all the reasons that go into it. But I think, like, being this far into it at our age, I'm going, like, there's, like, one out of ten guys that are still doing what we're doing. So that should be a caution for ministers and for pastors, right, to, to live and to operate well and to um, come to, with respect and honor to the position, but also for our churches just to go, maybe that's not us, but we should be, like, I know we think, like, yeah, we should be praying for, you know, the politicians, the governors, the president. Yeah, we should be praying for other churches too, right? Because we're, like, one, we're one piece, what Andy was talking about. We're, we're just doing our part here in Elba. And we all come from different places. But what about all those other churches? Like we, we pass by and we see, we're going like, hmm, hope they're doing well. Hope they're doing something good. But it really comes down to how the church operates. A family that operates together, that encourages, that loves each other and has one goal in mind. Um, and so I know there's always those things like maybe a pastor makes a big grievous mistake, commits adultery, and so he leaves the church and, and doesn't come back to ministry. But then I also think about times those accusations that are thrown. I know um, an individual I went to school with, um, I think about that statistic, one out of ten, there's some who goes through really, really difficult situations and not just end up leaving the pastorate, but, but maybe end up taking their own life. Um, there was a young man who had an accusation thrown at him, well, well, maybe a little bit older than us, and um, wasn't true. And so over the course of what took place there at their church, he took his own life. Minister. It's like, man, what? What a waste, right? And so as I, you know, I was thinking about that afterwards, leaving a wife and two little kids, probably won't even remember him. Like us as the church, we should be the ones who go, and we should encourage and we should lift up and we should go, man, what can we do to do the Lord's work and be an encouragement to each other? Um, and not looking for reasons, I think, to, um, to discredit, right? Our culture is good at that. It's like you turn on the news and it's like, it doesn't matter <laughs> you know, if, if it's true. It just matters if somebody says it enough times, Right? That's where we get all this fake news stuff. It's like if somebody says something enough times, then eventually somebody will believe it. And the church has done so much damage over time, over history, that we, we just have to go like, we need to look at the past, right? Because those who, what, uh, they, they can't remember the past or they're, they're failed to repeat it, right? I don't know what the saying is, but um, we don't look and go, here's how things have gone badly. And Paul's telling Timothy the same thing, like in order for this to work, here's what you need to do. And Paul's not saying, hey, it, there's not, not, there's not, not this mode to address sin or difficulty in the pastor's life or um, in an in a elder's life. The, the mode and the operation is there, but we have to go, what are we supposed to do on a regular basis, right? And give some credit, maybe give them benefit of the doubt. And I say this for my other brothers too, so anybody listening online, going to another church, then uh, yeah, we should be encouragers too. But there's a mode for it. So, And then in verse 20, uh, here's how this is carried out. So it says in verse 20 is, for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in, all, in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. So you get to the point where somebody who's in leadership says, you know what, I'm doing the wrong thing and I don't care. Well, what's the answer to that? Well, we've got to say, okay, and you've got to go somewhere else. And that's tragic, right? That's heartbreaking. And that, uh, man, I, I just wish that wasn't the case, but that happens too, all right? So where do we find ourselves giving benefit of the doubt, encouragement to those who serve, uh, and, and just going, if, if there's an issue, then we want to address it and do it the right way. Okay. Like I said, like if there were texts that you, know, you you could avoid or not have to do, this would probably be one of those. And I think just because it pertains to what I do, but um, I have to have to go through it because this is where we're at. And so then in verse twenty one, um, we can't be partial. This really applies to everything. But sometimes you just like you walk into a place, you're a part of a church, and you're like, I just don't like that guy, right? You don't know why. 
Uh, maybe it's just sin creeping up in your heart, making you focus on things that don't matter. In verse 21, it says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect, I charge you keep to these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. If you look at James chapter 2, it talks a lot about this, um, that we would not put special placement for people, that we would not put someone on a pedestal because they're this way, or we wouldn't put them over here because they're this way. Um, we got different personalities. I love that. That's why I always want to encourage um, our guys who are serving in leadership, um, our deacons who can preach and teach to, to be up here because I, I definitely don't have the cap on all truth. That comes from God's word and they're perfectly capable as well. So we want to encourage that, but do things the right way and not give partiality or special placement to anybody. God calls a number of people to serve in that way. And then in verse 22, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands nor take part in the sins of others and keep yourselves pure. Now, I, I, I referenced being at a business meeting, one of my first as a pastor, and that was a difficult situation. So we, we read this and we think, you know, don't, don't be hasty of the laying on of hands. We kind of think about like fighting, <laughs> that kind of thing happening. Um, I'm so thankful that God's given us, I think, this um, operation of peace you know, in our church, even with business meetings and things. Uh, it's not that we can't ask questions, just that God's given, I think, blessing in that area, in that space, and it says um, a lot about us. But th- he's not talking about like beating each other up, right? Um, he's not talking about you know going to blows over something. He's actually talking about ordaining or bringing those into the into the like lay leadership of the church who would preach and teach. And so he says, hey, don't uh, don't do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. Right? There's got to be this um, process uh, for uh, maturation, maturement, and bringing somebody to the place where they can be in that role and vetted. Right? Um, so, so you know we do that too, and um, no one should be considered of that position um, unless they should be. So, yeah, don't be hasty about that. He says, uh, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourselves pure. So he goes from one phase to the other. He goes, hey, you got some really promising people coming up. Uh, maybe a young man who can serve, you know, um, I think about, you know, guys like David, you know, that we have interning here that, uh, man, we've been give, just given some opportunities to, you know, let him speak and you've heard him and I've been encouraged by that. But we go, let's take the time, right? Let's not be too hasty in laying on of hands of ordaining and bringing into the ministry setting uh, for uh, all of the rest of the time that they will serve. Make sure they're called, right? That's part of what we do here. That's part of bringing on young people to help out. And so then he says, uh, <clears throat> nor take part in the sins of others. Don't go all this way. Like, don't just say, hey, everybody should be doing this, right? Because everybody has their place in ministry. But then he says, don't take part in the sins of others, right? It's hard, right? We exist in a world. There's tons of really wicked stuff going on around us. Uh, I don't know how the young people do it. Uh, just the, like the constant exposure, right? It's difficult, right? I mean, we have, you have the world at your fingertips, right? That's a problem, isn't it? Uh, and so uh, I won't elaborate on that, but, but it's so difficult because he says, keep yourselves pure. I mean, when Paul's talking to Timothy, he's going like, well, you know, I know you're pastoring in Ephesus and you got the temple to Artemis and there's a lot of like temple prostitution going on and just a lot of other wicked stuff. And he's going, just don't go over there, right? It'd probably be okay if you don't do that. So he says, keep yourself pure. Well, that word here in the Greek, hagnos, means perfectly clean. James 3, uh, 17 uses it. It says, but the wisdom from above is first pure. And peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. So where does this come from? Well, first the wisdom is from above, right? Well, how do we stay in God's will? How do, kids always ask me, like, well, how am I supposed to know what God's will is? <laughs> Read the Bible, man. <laughs> Read the Bible, right? That's going to give you all the direction that you need. And then prayer and ask God to help me. Right? How do I remain pure? Well, it's difficult, but he says keep yourself that way, right? So the p- person who leads well 
And in verse 23, and I don't want to get hung up here. I want to read this and try to help us understand the context um, and, this, and not stop here because we have other things to do uh, this morning. So verse 23 says, No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Everybody breathe. Okay. All right. We'll talk about it. Um, so this verse, I think it's been misunderstood um, for some time. And I think some people have avoided it, different places to talk about, you know, either um, alcohol being totally a sin or, you know, being a, you, you got to stay away from that or why, why does Paul talk about it? Well, um, here we see that he talks about it specifically for the use of uh, Timothy's um, stomach. Like, you know, he, he didn't know Timothy's background as a pastor, as a minister. One of the main roles of the ministry, and it still should be today, is to preach and to teach, but the prayer ministry also. So if you look at the book of Acts, um, you'll see that deacons were brought on. They were, they were brought on primarily to handle these tasks of like, hey, do the daily stuff, like take care of that, like, like let the minister, let the elder who's, who's preaching and teaching, let him focus on that in prayer ministry. You know what Timothy was doing? He was praying and he was fasting and he was doing this so much he was only drinking water that he was getting these like ulcers and he was in pain like all the time because he was praying for the people. And, and Paul goes, hey, um, which, by the way, would have been a regular prescription. Um, you don't know Paul uh, traveled with Luke, who was a doctor, disciple of Jesus. And this would have been one of the regular things that was prescribed. Hey, take a little wine for your stomach because that was a remedy, right? And if you look on like regular, you know, pain stuff these days and cough syrup, you might find on the back that says that, right? So does this mean that we have to be, you know, legalistic and say we can never partake in that, we can never do that? Well, if Paul says here to Timothy... <clears throat> Take a little bit of wine for the sake of your stomach um, because of what's going on. And, and I'll tell you this, just from my own experience, um, it's been a difficult subject, right? People will disagree about this stuff, but uh, as I think about my role in preaching and teaching, um, one of the things I do when I fast and pray for you guys, I, and I don't say when I'm doing that because you're not supposed to, right? Um, you're not supposed to just put that out there, but I fast and I pray for everybody in the church, every person that's sitting in this room right now. I can tell you that I pray for you every single week. Um, and when I do that, I, I fast. And so there's times it's just like, yeah, it's like painful, right? I don't know if you've ever fasted. You know, maybe we'll do a series on that. That'll be fun, right? Uh, I don't know if you've ever done that. But one of the things that I've known a lot of other pastors to do is drink a little bit of grape juice. By the way, we'll have a little bit of grape juice when we celebrate communion, right? And you know what that does? It settles your stomach a little bit. Is it alcoholic? No. But that's something that I do on a regular basis. It kind of helps just, um, you know, Calm my stomach and the nerves. On Sunday morning, I do that as well. It's kind of hard, like I've um, heard Alana say it a few times. I try to get her not to tell people that, but it's like I just don't eat because the weight of the text, just, you know, it's difficult on me. And I'm like, just take a little bit of grape juice. And so in the same way, I think Paul says this for a reason. Um, Chrysostom, who is a church father, said this about this passage. If one had to practice fasting to the extent and use only water so long that he had, to, had these affirmities brought on, is thus commanded to be chaste and not to refuse the admonition of. And so Chrysostom, and this would have been a regular practice, so the church fathers wouldn't have been going like, this is, like, why do you say that? Why are we freaking out about it? Why is this weird? Uh, no, he's saying that, that, that was a regular practice, okay? And so on the same side of things, I, I just want to help us maybe try to fall somewhere in the middle of this, because you can't, like, go to the pharmacy and, you know, it's like, I need, I'm really sick. I don't take the cough syrup, though, because it's got something in it, right? And so that's not what God's saying. Like, take a little something to help you with your infirmities. But also at the same time, you know, we have to look at what the entirety of Scripture says. So, you know, I think about passages like Ephesians 5, 18. Maybe you've read that before. It says, do not get drunk with wine, right? Several weeks ago, we talked about not getting wasted, right? That's something that when God says, hey, don't become inebriated, what's going to happen? You're going to make a lot of bad choices, probably. And I've seen it before, unfortunately. So, but what does he say? Before that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So what are we supposed to be filled with? 
Holy Spirit, right? <clears throat> and then he says, uh, uh, we see this in Proverbs 21 as well, and I know you've probably heard this before, but again, I just, I want us as we read this to understand what he's saying, what he's saying to Timothy, like not to feel bad about, hey, uh, it's okay, like take, take a little bit of that, make your stomach okay so that you can, can continue to preach. But in Proverbs 21, it also says, wine is a mocker, strong, uh, strong drink, a brawler, and whoever's led astray by it is not wise. Um, man, and I, I can't tell you. I, I've seen like the effects of that in a bad way. I'm just working with the fire department. There's been times I, I mean, I get somewhere and somebody's you know already gone because of a drunk driving related accident, and I um, mean that that grieves me you know deep in my spirit. And I just go, there, there's no part that I want of that. So just so you know, if you come over to the house, there's not there's not bottles right sitting there you know ready for us to partake in. We just don't do that. We don't want to make anybody else stumble. But I'm I'm not going to go beat somebody up right for getting cough syrup or for saying hey. I can have this casual drink because what does the scripture tell us? Well, be a strong brawler, right? Especially if partaken of in the wrong way, right? Overconsumption. Um, I love what <clears throat> David Grace said to me. This was several months ago. And David's like, oh no, what did I say? Right? <clears throat> he said this to me several months ago. We were in a prayer meeting, actually. We were talking about overconsumption of other things. And um, he, he said, it's kind of like this. And he said, I think one of the greatest pieces of just wisdom that I've heard in a long time if you struggle with overeating, Pastor, don't go to the buffet, you know? And uh, so I, you know, I thought about that, but in every single way, we think about abusing things or taking advantage of things or overconsuming things. What happens for us? Well, we got to go, should we not go to the buffet, right? And so Paul's not saying here, hey, um, this is not right, it's not acceptable. He's going to take a little bit for your stomach, all right? And so this will help us as we go into the last point. We've got this right perspective. And these right rules, if we understand why they're being said, what they're being said for, um, that it helps us move in the right direction, okay? So here's the last fill in the blank. Leave it up to God. Leave it up to God. And that'd be good advice for a lot of things, right? Because we get so bent out of shape about stuff where we just go, how dare you, or why are you going to do that, or that's not okay, Um, especially in regards to traffic-related things, right? Um, (laughs) So I have to be careful, okay? Uh, Being a young man, you know, growing up, like, I got speeding tickets, okay? I haven't in a very long time. I think it's been like 14, 15 years. So as a young man, I got several, right? And then I went, well, first of all, uh, i got to pay for tickets. That's not good, right? But I was breaking the law too. And so I was going like, what, what's the right rules? How should I operate? And then what should we just leave up to God um, and maybe stop making as big of a deal as other people do or making things a big deal that just aren't? Uh, verse 24 um, says that the sins of some are conspicuous. Going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. I think at times, you know, we kind of like to be the police, right? Or we like to, you know, be like, well, I'm going to figure out what you're doing so that I can feel better about myself, right? If we're being honest, that's probably the reason that sometimes we do those things. Instead of just worrying about making sure that, like, what Paul says to Timothy, hey, make sure, don't worry about, you know, laying on hands on people. Don't worry uh, about, you know, just stay away from this and keep yourself pure. If we just worried about ourselves a little more often. Um, instead of each other, or instead of those positions, like I think that we're like, like what I do, um, what, our, what our deacons do, really serve as elders and teachers, we put, I think, a lot of weight at times, which is okay. And we should do that at times. But at the same time, uh, we got to go, I mean, these people are human beings too, right? So you know any other pastors, you know any other churches, like be praying for them and encouraged because it's what we should do, okay? Um, and I love this passage uh, as well. Matthew Henry, if you read his commentary, it's one of my favorites. Um, he says this about this. So some sins go before um, judgment, but the sins of others appear later. 
Some men's sins are open beforehand, going before to judgment, and some follow after. Observe, ministers have need of a great deal of wisdom to know how to accommodate themselves to the variety of offenses and offenders that they have occasion to deal with. Some men's sins are so plain and obvious and not found out by secret search that there are no disputes concerning to bring them under censure of the church. They go before judgment to lead them to censure. Others they follow after. That is, their wickedness does not presently appear. Um, I, I read that and I was just going like, you know, we, we worry so much about like what other people are doing, right? Um, especially those who serve and preach and teach. And we just go, if they're not perfect, then man, hey babe, come on back in. If they're not perfect, then what do we do, right? We come down with a hammer. We come down hard. Um, Alana and I, I'm glad she came back in. Um, Alana and I started Taekwondo. So, yeah, 33, I started Taekwondo. <laughs> Pray for me. Um, so we're, we're doing that together. I, we, we went over to the studio um, here in Elba. There's a good one. And uh, tell you about it later. Uh, and so we were just trying to find an outlet for us to do t- something together. And I did ask Alana. So we went and doing the Taekwondo thing. I was like, do you want me to like, do it with you? just want you to do it on your own? Because at some point, kids are like, Dad's not cool. So, so I know that's coming. I said, do you want me to do it with you right now? I don't have to. I can just watch. He's like, no, let's do it together. And so uh, we're going to do in Taekwondo um, every week. And, and I just... Man, I don't know. Um, I think about uh, the way we treat um, and we interact with people. And we read this, and some things are obvious, right? Some things are very clear. Uh, but at times it seems like, um, I don't know, um, others are not. Um, and I don't know, is, is it our job to maybe point out those things that are wrong? At times, yeah, but we need to do it in the right way. And, and just to be clear, we think about like other people making mistakes. And some, a lot of times people will come to me too and they'll be like, uh, hey, you know, Pastor, I did this thing. Just wanted to know if I'm forgiven, you know, or if it's cool, right? All those kind of questions. I'm like, well, the good news is you can go right to God, right? You don't have to just you know, sit there and go, I don't know, I need to talk to a pastor. And then it's okay to talk to me. I'm here. Like, I just, I just finished working through a counseling course, so we've been doing a lot of that lately. And I'm just helping people struggling in different areas. But, but is that my job to absolve you? No, it's not. Is it your job to point out everybody's inconsistencies, right? To be wearing the glasses of inspection on everyone? No job to either to do that. In verse 25, good news is we're forgiven, right? Everybody is. In verse 25, it says, So also good works are conspicuous, even those that are not cannot remain hidden. So why do we worry so much about it? It's like we've got good perspective, we've got good rules when it comes to the church and how do we operate. And sometimes we just need to leave things up to God, right? We just need to go, maybe that's not my job. Um, so there's another passage here, First Timothy six seventeen through 19. I just want to read. Um, it says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are not to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to serve, thus storing up treasures for themselves as good foundation for the future, so they may not take hold, may take hold of what is truly life. Um, so in all of this, Paul has given instruction to Timothy, he's given instruction to the church, how are we supposed to live and operate, how are we supposed to treat each other, what are things we're supposed to be looking for, what are things we shouldn't like, freak out about maybe, um, and then what are things we should just go like, let's just let's leave that up to the Lord, right? Um, so what are we supposed to do, live and operate in this community to give each other accountability when we see something that's like really wrong, yeah, we should say something about it, even if it's me, and that's okay. Even if it's Andy or one of our other guys, like you say, hey, is everything okay? Like we should be able to ask those kind of questions um, but then there's some things we're just like, you know what? We stand before God. We'll have to give an account, won't we? And it's not going to be, uh, when we stand before God, let me tell you what they did because, man, I look so good in comparison to them. 
We stand before a holy God. What's going to be the standard? Holiness. Purity, right? And that's why Paul says purity. And what's the good news? We, we don't actually have to be completely perfect to accomplish that, right? The good news is Jesus already died for our sins on the cross. And we just say, man, we believe in that. We confess with our mouth that he's the Lord of our lives. Scripture tells us we'll be saved, right? doesn't mean we can go and live however we want, but we need to live in a way that shows that we, we got grace, right? In a way that shows like we're not just like looking to blow people up. Like, oh, there you do that. Oh, I can't believe you, right? We just live in a community of grace, okay? So verse 25, it's really the end, but I, I just, I wonder with thinking about this, perspective rules um, and leaving it up to God, like where do we find ourselves? Are we in this place of like super high judgmental mentality? We're like always looking for other people's mistakes. Are we going like, how can I lift up? How can I encourage? And when something is really wrong, like we, we can actually have a conversation where we go, I'm not here to judge. I just, I want to make sure you're okay, right? What does our culture do? Man, they bring down the hammer, don't they? That's why I brought up Taekwondo. I was trying to remember that while I was talking. And people were like, why is he talking about Taekwondo? I don't think he did that about anything. Um, so we were learning this one in particular move and some blocks and stuff, and we learned hammer fist, right? We got to um, break a fake piece of wood. Um, and so that was cool. Like, we got our first little, you know, belts. Um, but, but I think a lot of times, like, when we, le- we learned that stuff, I was like, oh, cool, hammer fist. Like, I'm going to be using that. Does anybody really ever use that anywhere? I don't know. So then we had to use hammer fist on the fake piece of wood to break it. Yeah, it was awesome. Uh, and uh, she's doing it right now, she's doing the moves. And um, so we broke that, and, and I think at times we just want to go like, how can I, when, where's the next person that I get to bring the gavel down on? And that is not our job, right? It's not our job to go hammer fist <laughs> on somebody. Uh, and a lot of I joke about that right now, like block, you know, block me, hammer fist, but, but do, we, do we do that? I think that's the question for us. We, we shouldn't really, right? We should be um, encouragers. We should lift each other up. And then when there's really an issue, we need to have right perspective. Um, we have rules to govern that and to guide that, which are right here in God's word. And then sometimes we just need to leave stuff up to God. Maybe you're wondering, like, am I okay? Uh, maybe I'm going to pray about this. I'm not sure. Um, I came up on um, a car accident this week, and it was... Um, uh, it was between here and Batavia. A, a young man had hit another vehicle, and so I can't really talk about the details, but when I went to check on the vehicle, I had to stop. So I'm a first, uh, first responder here in Elba, and, and I, I didn't want to fail to render aid, so I did. And I go up to the car, and I'm just asking, like, is everybody okay? You're always asking, like, is anybody hurt? Like, who do we need to get here um, to help us? And I look in, and uh, somebody was hurt. A young man was hurt in particular. And he looks at me, he goes, I'm fine, man. And he wasn't fine. And I think sometimes, like, we, like, we hear this stuff, too, and I, I'm not beating you up. This is for me just as much as it's for you. I think sometimes we, like, we, we hear those stories, and we're going, oh, that's so silly. Like, you know, he was on adrenaline, and he got hurt. He's like, I'm fine, man. <laughs> not fine, right? Maybe sometimes, instead of hearing these things, and just going, it's not me. It's not me. It's not me. Maybe we just need to go, like, am I doing that? Am I bringing down the hammer fist, or am I, like, so unaware of my own position and placement and my, my perception of other people, my perspective, um, that, that I'm not treating people well, or I'm not operating rightly. I hope that's not any of us. I know most of us pretty well in the room, and I would say that's probably something true that I could say, but we always need to be asking ourselves that question. Like, are we looking at that speck in somebody else's eye, like Jesus said, or are we, are we taking, <laughs> we should be looking at that log, right? In the scripture, you see that word for that, it's like this two-by-four hanging out of somebody's eye, which would just look ridiculous, like, we ask somebody, are you okay? And they're really not okay. Um, man, I pray that we could be people um, who are graceful and handle those situations well, um, no matter what it is, okay?
Uh, well, we're going to enter into our time um, of communion, and if you didn't catch in the message, there's one way to know that you're saved and that you have grace, and it's through Jesus Christ, um, that you would admit that you're a sinner, believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross, um, that he was raised from the dead uh, on that third day, which meant we could have eternal life. What happened? That temple veil got torn. We're about to celebrate communion together, and what did Jesus know was about to happen? He was giving them the Lord's Supper, and he was going, man, uh, these people are gonna, they're going to be like, wow, this is awesome, because what happened? The veil got torn and where we have direct access to God, if we would confess that with our mouths, we would know that it's true, okay? So we need to be people of grace, right? Um, of change and encouragement. Um, but know there's right rules here. There's perspective for how do we handle difficult situations in the church. And we go to the Word, right? I love what Andy said at the beginning when he was praying. And we gotta, we got to be people um, who love the Word and are filtered and instructed by that, okay? And so I want to pray for you. Maybe um, you've never made that decision to follow Jesus. Um, I'll be here afterwards. love to talk to you about it. Uh, I'll pray, and then we'll enter right into communion, and we'll talk a little bit about it before we take it. Uh, Father, we thank you for uh, this day, for your word, and how you instruct and encourage us. Uh, I pray that as we, you know, as we look at this text, that we wouldn't just you know, glance things off, that we wouldn't just say, oh, that doesn't apply to me, or oh, I don't need that. Um, I pray that we would have right perspective, um, that we would understand what the rules are for how do we operate. You, you've given it clearly to us um, in your word. Pray that we would do that well. Um, that there would be um, honor and respect for certain positions, not even mine. Uh, I care about our guys here at the church too who lead and teach um, and preach and give direction and make decisions for our church family. I pray that you continue to give grace there. Um, Allow us as a church family for people who come in here uh, just to be a place of uh, grace and beauty um, that maybe they don't see anywhere else in the world. I pray we would be like that. Um, Your grace is at the forefront of everything that we do. And... um, God, for things we just need to leave up to you, not worry about, give us a little bit of uh, relief from our own um, sin and desires to judge others. Help us to leave it up to you. Um, We know you'll take care of it all in the end anyway. Uh, We love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.